Good morning. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and His Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm uh, Chris Grant. I've known Bill Spanger for about 15 years. Uh, my wife works at Chapel Field with him, and so I've got to do lots of Christmas parties with him and sporting events. And I got ordained in the Lutheran Church about four or five years ago. And uh, so I've been serving as a pastor part-time, like Bill, uh, with a corporate job during the week. And so when he called me this week and said, hey, could you bail me out? I said, absolutely. I've heard about this church for a number of years. My wife's been here a couple of times. And so it's good to actually see the room that he's talked about where it's tight, but it's, it's lively. So thanks for having me. So anybody been going any, through anything uh, difficult over the last couple of years? Seen things change in the country? Like, have I missed something? Yeah. It's tough, right? It's like it's a lot of our assumptions about how the trust we have in institutions and the, the things that we rely on, even churches closing and then reopening and, and schools closing and reopening. And a lot of things about life have really gotten shaken up over the last couple of years. Now, for some of us, that's been a situation where it's like, oh, it's been a little bit of an inconvenience, but now we're back. And for other, other people, they've lost the life, whether it's because of family members passing away or it's because they've lost their job and they've had to make completely different decisions and their life has fallen apart. Now, a lot of people have to go through life after having events that happen that take basically their life away, after their life falls apart. It's hard to live like that sometimes. Maybe you've gone through that. I heard some of the prayer requests, people dealing with difficult situations. When things in life change for the worse with no hope of ever getting back the life you had or the life that you dreamed. Now, sometimes these situations are our own faults. We make bad decisions and we have to then live with the eternal, not the eternal, but the lively consequences of having made a bad decision. And sometimes they just happen to us. Somebody else does something or a sickness hits or a natural disaster. And we just have to live in the, live a life after something great has been taken away from us. For many of us, we can think of times when our own world has come apart. Losing a family member, losing your career, having your reputation wrecked with no hope of recovery. Maybe it's losing your health. These things happen, and we're left to pick up the pieces. Today, we're going to be looking at somebody in the Old Testament whose world fell completely apart, whose life was changed forever, and he was left picking up the pieces. His name is Mephibosheth. Some of you may have heard that name before, and maybe for some of you, this was the first time when when, uh, Mark read the lessons, or Todd, right? You read the first one. Maybe that was the first time you've heard that name. He is mentioned a few times in the book of 2 Samuel, with the main part of his story highlighted in 2 Samuel chapter 9. So who is this Mephibosheth? To start, let me say that when Mephibosheth was born, he had it made. Life was set up nicely for him. He was an Israelite and a member of the first royal family of the nation. God's people, the Israelites, had lived for over 700 years without a king. And when the Israelites, let's go back to our Bible school, our Bible study Sunday school when we were kids, when Israelites decided to to call their first king, who did they pick? Saul, 
right? King Saul, a tall, handsome young man. Saul became the first king of Israel, and Saul established his kingdom when he defeated the Philistines. Saul had a firstborn son named Jonathan, who also had a son. Jonathan's son was named Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was the grandson of the king and a potential heir to the throne. He had access to the king. He probably sat on the king's lap. He ate at the king's table. His father, Jonathan, was a great warrior in the army of Israel. Life was set up for Mephibosheth. He had food. He had wealth. He did not need to work. For the first few years of his life, Mephibosheth knew what it meant to live the high life. I'm sure at night his father and his grandfather would tell stories of their victories. I bet that Jonathan told Mephibosheth about the time that he and his armor bearer killed 20 Philistines all by themselves and that God gave them the strength to overcome their enemies. I'm sure that Saul and Jonathan told Mephibosheth that one day he would be the leader of the Israel army. That one day he would have his own palace. That one day he would be the king. He was also part of a large extended royal family. In addition to his father, he also had three uncles and a number of aunts. He probably had a bunch of cousins to run around the palace with. He had servants, attendants, his own nurse, and much more. He had it made. And then one day, when Mephibosheth was just five years old, everything changed. Everything. Mephibosheth probably didn't know this being just five years old, but God had turned his back on his grandfather Saul. Instead, he chose someone else to be king. He chose David. So one day at the battle of Mount Gilboa, Saul led the Israelite army against the Philistines as he had many times before. But this time things were different. God was not with the Israelites. Mephibosheth's father, Jonathan, a good man, a mighty warrior, was cut down and killed. His father was dead. Two of his three uncles also killed that same day. His grandfather, King Saul, stood back from the fierce battle, but was critically wounded by an arrow that was shot by his enemies, and he also died that day. In one day, his dad, two of his uncles, his grandfather, the king, all killed in battle. Word quickly got back to the palace. Mephibosheth's nurse picked him up and ran out to try and protect him. With Jonathan and Saul dead, Mephibosheth was in line to be king. And as the nurse ran with, her in, ran with him in her arms, do you know what happened? She fell. She dropped him. Both of his feet were shattered and he became permanently disabled. For five years, everything was perfect. He ate at the king's table and had his life set up for him. And now he lost his family. He was no longer an heir to the throne and he would never walk again. He went from sitting at the king's table to becoming an outcast in hiding. His family's reputation was forever ruined. Now the king's attendants took him to a far away to northern Israel to a remote town called Lodabar. He had servants and attendants to take care of him, which he needed because he couldn't walk. It wasn't the worst existence. At least he had someone to take care of him. 
While there, he probably heard reports that his last remaining uncle, Ishbosheth, had assumed the throne. But many other people claimed that David was the true king. And there was war between Ishbosheth, his uncle, and David. The house of Saul continuously lost, and David grew mightier and mightier. After a long time of war, Mephibosheth's last living uncle was killed by one of David's men. The house of Saul, the enemy of David, was completely defeated. I'm sure that Mephibosheth hoped that David would never find out where he was living. The best he could hope for was to live out his life quietly and not be bothered by the ghosts of his past. And that's what he did. Five-year-old Mephibosheth grew up and had a son and presumably a wife. Life went on. But in all those years, I'm sure he spent many days and nights wondering what might have been. I was supposed to be the king. Why did that nurse drop me? So careless. Or maybe he spent hours and hours wishing for the good old days. The days when he lived in the palace with all his family, eating at the king's table, hearing stories of victory, hearing about his future as the king of God's people. Ah, oh, what could have been? Ah, oh, for the good old days. And I think of a lot a lot of us deal with these same emotions. What could have been if I only had not made that stupid decision, I wouldn't be in this situation. If I hadn't decided to lie to my boss or mistreat my family, oh, what could have been? Or if that person had not done this terrible thing to me or this condition hadn't afflicted me or somebody that I'm close to, life wouldn't be so difficult. Or you spend time thinking about the good old days. You long for the days when your loved one was still alive or the days when your body worked the way that it was supposed to. You long for the days when your family was still together, not torn apart by divorce or separated by long distances. You remember how good it was when you still had enough money to pay your bills and could treat your family to a nice dinner. Oh, for the good old days. Do you remember the good old days? I don't know about you, but when I hear Mephibosheth's story, I can certainly identify with what he was probably feeling. <sighs> what might have been. Oh, for the good old days. Many years later, while he was still in Lodabar, there was a message that came from King David, who had only recently learned of Mephibosheth's existence. As the last living person in the house of Saul, the enemy of David... This could not possibly have been good news. The message said that the king wanted Mephibosheth brought to David's court. The king wanted Mephibosheth brought before him. This must have been terrifying for Mephibosheth. All these years he has been out of sight, out of mind, hiding away and getting on with his life, trying to make the most of what was left. Now it must be time for him to pay for the sins of his family. Mephibosheth's servants loaded him up and they made the long trip to Jerusalem, to David's palace. I wonder if as he was going into the palace, it brought back memories of his childhood and his grandfather's palace and the joy of those days, the sights, the smells, the sounds. 
I'm sure it brought him back. But now things were different. And so he approached the king. With fear in his heart, he heard the loud voice of David, Mephibosheth. In a humble voice, he replied, at your service. David said, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid? What else was he supposed to be in that moment but terrified? Mephibosheth knew what he deserved. As a member of the house of Saul, Mephibosheth acknowledged later that all he deserved was death. Do not be afraid, said David, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. After all those years of hiding, rejection, just getting by, he's been invited back to the king's table. And at that time in Israel, culturally, the table was more than a place to eat. It stood for providence. It stood for a place of blessing, a place of inclusion. That's what David was offering to Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was shocked. He was floored. He responded, who am I that you should notice a dead dog like me? He couldn't believe that he was being treated like this by the king. This dead dog was being offered new life and reconciliation with his enemy. David turned to the steward of Saul's wealth, one of Mephibosheth's servants, and said, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. In 2 Samuel 9, 13, the story ends by saying, And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. And this is a really good picture of our relationship with God. See, when Mephibosheth approached David, he had nothing to offer. He wasn't a warrior. He wasn't a military strategist. He didn't have great wealth. He didn't have political connections. He had nothing. He couldn't even walk. And yet in his worthlessness and dishonor, he was offered a seat at the king's table. And that is a lot like us. Romans 5 describes us as enemies of God due to our sin. When we approach God, we have nothing to offer. What good thing can we offer God that he doesn't already have? We deserve nothing but death and dishonor. And even though we were created to be heirs and rulers, right? That's what Adam and Eve were created to be, to have dominion over the earth. Our sin has reduced us to nothing. Apart from God, we are completely disabled and have no way to improve our situation. But God, the king, welcomes us to his table. He invites us to share in his honor his provision, and his life. He welcomes us because of Jesus, and his love for us is shown on the cross. Instead of being dead dogs who deserve death, God welcomes us to his table. He became death so that he could give us life at his table. He was dishonored so that we could be honored at his table. He was stripped of everything that he had so that he could give us everything we need at his table. Through baptism, we enter into a special covenant with God. 
This covenant that takes every, every bad thing we deserve and gives us everything that Jesus won on the cross. A covenant that comes with an invitation to sit at the king's table. And God's table is so much better than David's table. David's table was good for a time, and then it was gone. God's table is eternal. David's table sustained Mephibosheth through his disability. God's table restores us. It's a great place to be. At his table, he begins to restore us, and then we get the final restoration when he returns. And that's the offer for us today. When we feel regret about what could have been, when we long for the, when God ministers to us, when we think about what we might, what might have been, God ministers to us through his Holy Spirit, offering us forgiveness and new hope. When we get stuck on the old days, thinking about the good old days, God ministers to us and reminds us that the best days are still to come. Do you want to come to the king's table? Do you want to be with the king at his table? See, Mephibosheth could have said to David, I'm so glad that we're on good terms and that we are no longer enemies, but I'd rather just go ahead back to, I'll just hang out in Lodabar. I'm good there. He could have done that, but David had so much more for him at his table. See, often we would rather wallow in regret or keep ourselves isolated and do our own thing. We think about what might have been or what should have been, but I invite you today Continue to come to the king's table and receive everything that he has for you. As I said earlier, the table represents blessing, provision, and inclusion. Thanks to Jesus, we have been offered a special place of blessing, provision, and inclusion. I encourage you today to embrace the seat that God has prepared for you at his table. Feast on his heavenly blessings, and I promise he will give you everything that you need. Receive God's free eternal gift of a seat at his table, bought and paid for by Jesus. Don't return to your loneliness, to your isolation and your disappointment. Keep yourself firmly planted in his presence at his table. And I, I promise you, he will sustain you today. He will sustain you tomorrow, and he will sustain you forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that even though we deserve nothing from you, you've offered us a place of inclusion at your table, that you've called us into your family, not because we deserve it, not because we earned it, but because you desire it for us. Lord, let us open our hearts to the, to the, to the reality of what it means to be an heir and a, and a son and a family member, a sister and a brother in your kingdom, that we might not lose sight and be distracted by all the things that happen to us in this life, knowing that no matter what happens in this life, we still have a place at your eternal table and that you will look out for us, provide us a place of blessing, a place of inclusion, and a place of life. May that reality stir in us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.